Calvary Christian. I'm Jordan, and here's what's happening on the Hill. If you're a first-time guest, welcome. We have a big I'm new wall out in the lobby, and it's orange, and you can't miss it. Please come by and say hello, and we even have a gift for you. Can you believe we've had 44 baptisms this year alone, and eight of them were last week? Let's take a look at those baptisms and celebrate together. Good morning. So glad you made it into the house of the Lord. As you stand, as we prepare to sing this morning, we're going to do a new song for you. It's called Take You at Your Word. I just want to say the chorus to you. It says, I'll take you at your word. If you said it, I'll believe it. I've seen how good it works. If you start it, you'll complete it. I'll take you at your word. How many out there is confident that the Lord, what he says he will do, he will do. Amen. Amen. Come on, sing with us. If you saw it, you're complete. 
he's faithful in this place. Can you just give him a hand clap of praise? Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, y'all. Uh, my name is William. This is Hannah. Uh, and this is Nevaeh. Um, it, I'm her older brother, so I've always been the younger brother until she came along, so I never knew what it was like to have somebody look up to me and follow me around like a lost pup. Um, but four years ago, I got the pleasure to help take um, help my mother and father get baptized, and ever since then, she has had this itch of just wanting to know and wanting to come and wanting to just be around the church and know God more uh, so it's it's my pleasure to be able to finally baptize her and let her do what she wants to do and figure out more about God okay Nevaeh if you can repeat after me I believe I believe that Jesus is the Christ Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God the Son of the living God and I accept him I accept him to be my personal Lord and Savior to be my personal Lord and Savior Okay, because of your confession, Will and he and I are going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thursday. Hopefully you were able to find some time on Thursday and just pray for our nation as it was the National Day of Prayer. And as we're getting ready to take communion, I just wanted to uh, just remind you in Second Chronicles, in chapter 7, the Lord said to Solomon as he was dedicating the temple, he said, if the people would humble themselves and pray, then God said, I will hear from heaven and I will heal, heal their land and I will forgive them of their sin. So whenever you take time here, just in a few minutes, we have stations in the back and in the front on the sides that we can come. You can take that little cup, little piece of bread. I want you to just declare who God is, who you need God to be today in this moment. Maybe you're going through a battle, a struggle. Maybe you're on the mountaintop and God, you just want to praise him. But I just want you to close your eyes real quick and I want you to just think and fill in the blank. God, you are. And whatever your need is today, just say, Lord, if I need healing, Lord, you're my healer. Lord, if I need deliverance, you're my deliverer. If I'm addicted to something right now, Lord, you're my redeemer. So would you just pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. And God, you said that you would hear from heaven. If we would call out to you, call upon your name, and your ears would hear your people, your children. So today, God, Lord, as we take communion together, And we remember, Lord, what you did for us and who you are. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for that sacrifice today. We glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can come.
so glad that you uh, swam in this morning. Thanks uh, for being here today. Hey, when you hear, when you, somebody says, I got some good news and some bad news. Let me see your hand if you'd rather have the bad news first. All right, good news first. All right, the bad news is 
the driver of a blue Camry license plate 976XCH. Your lights are on in the front parking lot. The good news is the windows are up. There you go. There you go. That's, that's what we got for you today, all right? Hey, I mean, wasn't April awesome? I mean, April was incredible, incredible, incredible. Uh, not just Easter weekend, but all through the month to see what God was doing. And 27 baptisms. It just is. It was awesome, awesome, awesome month. And here's the deal. Satan would love to use stuff like that to distract us. He's an expert at distraction. Because he would love to say, look, 27 baptisms in a month, that's fantastic. Like, just put it on cruise control for the next couple months. Let some others build up or whatever. It's just like, we're good, we're good. And he loves to distract us. He loves to, when, when God does things that are good, when God does things that are good, he loves to distract us. When, when it rains, which we desperately need, Satan loves to distract people and say, you don't need to go today. You don't need to go today. Now, if you didn't come today and you're watching online, praise God, all right? But, but Satan loves to distract. Here's, Satan loves to do this, because I saw it happen last week. I saw it happen last week. Jason was just like killing it and, and teaching us about praying. And <clears throat> when, when all of a sudden things get, I don't know, kind of like, uncomfortable like okay that's like pushing me a little bit sounds satan will convince you that you desperately need to go to the restroom right at that moment he'll do it and people get up and walk out and everybody else turns and looks he, he wants to distract us from what god is doing from what god is really trying to teach and what god is really trying to help because he's a master of distraction it's one of his flaming arrows that the Bible talks about in the book of Ephesians. Jason, just two weeks ago today, hit the greatest sermon analogy that I may have ever heard. I mean, when he dropped that truth bomb on us, I was just like, oh, oh my goodness, that is like perfect, it's all over it. If, if you were here and you didn't catch it, I'm gonna give it to you, if you weren't here and you'd missed it completely. Like when Jason talked about the difference between snorkeling and scuba diving that could not have been any more spot on than anything when it comes to <clears throat> the difference between just accepting jesus and being discipled in him but between growing and becoming a fully mature disciple because you see far too many christians are completely satisfied with snorkeling along the top and never wanting to go deep with jesus and that's why we've done this whole series about diving deep because it's important that we go deep and that we grow in our faith because if we try to stay on the surface eventually we'll get bored we'll get distracted and we'll get gobbled up now there's also dangers in going deep there's also some dangers in going deep that jason talked about for us a couple of weeks ago but in this series so far we started off talking about how important it is to grow with each other okay and then Jason talked about caring for each other. And last week he talked about praying for each other. But, but today to finish up this series, I got, we got to dig into one that quite honestly, of all the 59 one another's that there are in the Bible, the different kinds of one another's that there are in the Bible, this one I think may be the toughest for us to live out today. And that is to hold each other accountable do you know that that one is in there in one form or another almost as many times as love one another in fact they're the two greatest one another's that there are in the bible to love one another and to hold one another accountable it's critically important but it's tough because here's the problem here's the problem christians have have evolved have grown in this this culture that we live in today that says you can't judge me. Or as the great theologian Tupac said, only God can judge me. And he was right. Only God can judge you. And he will. That was the part that he may have missed. Yes, he can judge and he will judge you. But we don't, we don't like that because it's uncomfortable. Now, now, stay with me here. Stay with me. This is critically important today. Judging in a condemning spirit 
or in a spirit that is not in line with biblical standards is most definitely wrong. There is a God. Everybody say that. And I'm not him. There you go. If we can remember that stuff, then we can hold each other accountable properly. It's important that we kind of sparse or dissect what Jesus is talking about when it comes to these judging verses, to hold each other accountable. See, we have to define accountability and judging properly from a biblical viewpoint. Yes, judging each other's actions against biblical standards because Jesus' command not to judge one another is in here too when it comes to a condemning kind of judgment. So here's the deal. You all have already judged some people today. You have. Maybe more than I know, but I know you've judged some. Because as you were coming to church this morning, you made a judgment that those people that were driving with you on the road, when they came to that big red ball hanging above the road, they were actually going to stop. Or when that sign with the eight sides on it told them to stop, they were gonna, you made a judgment. I think they're going to do it. I think that, and therefore, I'm going to do it as well, and I'm going to participate in that appropriately. We make judgments all the time. So there's a difference between making judgments and judging someone, all right? Because judging someone becomes in that condemning spirit. Here's some things that the Bible tells us. Jesus did point out, Matthew chapter 7, judge not, lest you be not judged. Uh, he also talked about uh, in John chapter 8, when the adulterous woman was brought to him and thrown at his feet. He said, those of you without sin, cast the first stone, all right? He said, we can't be judging in that way. But Jesus does point in all his ways, not to show hypocrisy, but to make wise judgments and to hold each other accountable. So part of doing that, and why I just want to kind of sit and kind of let today be kind of a family discussion sort of day, is that we've got to understand Scripture and our role on using Scripture, okay? First and foremost, we've got to understand that we're not creating biblical principles, only sharing them. There's nothing that I'm going to share today or that Jason has shared in the last two weeks that he or I or our elders, none of us made any of that up. We are just sharing things that God has already laid out. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. We have several law enforcement officers in our church family, and we're so thankful for that. But when they are out on the road on patrol and you go by them 20 miles over the speed limit, there is already a judgment that has been assessed per the amount of speed over the speed limit. All they have to do is catch you and determine guilt or innocence. That's all, that's all that's still at stake. The judgment has already been established in, in, in law books for any kind of crime. And God has established some judgments in his word that already define how we're supposed to live and the consequences for not living that way, okay? And so when we share that with someone who we care about, who we care about, We are saying, like, I care enough to tell you this isn't going to end well. When we're riding in the vehicle and our spouse is going 25 miles over the speed limit and we say, you might want to slow down, doesn't mean we don't love them, means we don't particularly want to waste the time with the ticket or the money, all right? But we're just making suggestions based on what we know to be law and truth. And so we're called... We're called, not just suggested, we're called to hold each other accountable, to love each other enough to hold each other accountable. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to look in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, because all this that we're talking about today is all based on this, okay? It's all, here's, here's our rule of thumb, it's scripture, okay? And look what this says here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, All scripture is God-breathed, not Dave-breathed, not Jason-breathed, it's it's God-breathed, okay? 
All scripture is God and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This servant of God is the person that we're holding accountable. And how are we holding them accountable? We're holding them accountable by God-breathed words, by scripture, all right? So let's look at the four things it says here in the middle of this. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for, for teaching, for teaching. See, this thing is full of great knowledge. And some people love, love, love to study God's word and just to soak it in. And they they get a study Bible and they read every study note at the bottom of the page. And then they get another one and they compare the two and they take it in. But here's the problem. If you are studying, I don't see that word up here. It says it's useful for teaching. Now you need to study to teach, but if you take it in and don't regurgitate it out, you're not teaching. You're just absorbing. You're just a sponge that's soaking it all in. And for us to be true to God's word, we've got to teach. We've got to wring it out of us so that we can help God's servant, the servant of God, be thoroughly equipped. Look at the next thing. Rebuking. Rebuking. That's no fun. That's no fun. You know, rebuking is, is when, when I got to look at Fred Allen and go, come on, Fred, what are you doing? But sometimes in life, we got to do that, don't we? Any parent in here ever had to rebuke your child? If you don't, you don't love them. That's just what the Bible tells us. All right, And so sometimes we've got to call things out. Sometimes we've got to stand up and say, this isn't right. Sometimes Christians need to stand up publicly and say, this isn't right. This law you're trying to pass, this thing you're trying to do in, 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 a, in a local or state or national state is not right. And so we're, rebuking, we're calling that out. All right, And then we can't just rebuke it. We've got to correct it. All right, because it doesn't do any good, doesn't do any good for somebody to point out you're doing something wrong and not tell you what right looks like, not tell you what the proper answer needs to be. And, and, and so we're going to teach and we're going to rebuke and we're going to correct and then we're going to train. We're going to train, but not just train, we're going to train in righteousness so that God is glorified, so that it's all about right kind of of living in life. I told you the Bible is full of one another's that talk about how we kind of challenge one another and how we kind of uh, hold each other accountable. In, in Galatians chapter 6, 1, here's one of them. And I don't have time to read them all today, but I'm gonna give you a few of them today, okay? Galatians 6, 1, our New Living Translation says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer, okay, I said another believer, another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly, should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation. I want you to see something here, right here. Look at this right here. If another what? What's that word? Believer. Get this. This whole idea of accountability. You and I, because of our Christian belief, are not called to hold a pagan world accountable. We are called to hold one another accountable. God's going to take care of that pagan world. And when anybody steps over into this world of believers, steps over the line and joins our family, now now we're in the game. Now we're in the game because we're doing this as a family and for a reason and a purpose. And so it says, if you see another believer, then you should gently and humbly help that person back to the right path. Notice, see, with the way it says that, that, that's not condemning, is it? Because if it was condemning, it would be dig a hole and throw them in it. No, we're trying to get them back on the right path. That's accountability. James chapter five, verse 16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Yeah. It matters when we pray. There's, there's power in prayer. There is power in prayer. And God will heal our, our, hear our prayers 
and heal our land. That's what, that's what Stu shared with us going into communion time. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 18 gave us a formula. He gave us a formula for what it looks like if, once again, look at the very beginning, verse 15, if another believer, all right, another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won the person back. So, hey, when somebody does something that's out of line, they, especially if they've done it to you and you go and you confront that and they say, you know what? I didn't think about that. You're, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Then you've won them back over. You're, they're back like on the same path together, right? And that's the objective, all right? But it goes on to say, if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. No, he said, she said, no, we're all going to get here together in the room and all of us know enough about what's going on. Here's what's going on. Verse 17, if that person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat, treat that person as a pagan or as a corrupt tax collector. Churches all around the world have been destroyed because people have been unwilling to confront wrongdoing for fear that they would hurt somebody's feelings. And so they've let cancers grow and grow and grow. Cancer stays inside of you, you will not survive. We all know that. And so Jesus says, here's how you take care of those situations. First of all, one-on-one, then take somebody with you. Then like the whole church, hey guys, we got to deal with this. Family meeting, we got to deal with this, all right? But hopefully, hopefully in those first couple conversations, not only do we have to be, stay here, get this. All right, I'm getting ready to get in your grill, okay? Stay with this, all right? We have to be willing not only to hold each other accountable, we have to be willing to be held accountable. That's where a lot of us struggle. <laughs> I know a whole bunch of people that are more than willing to hold other people accountable. <laughs> and their life stinks. But they'll tell you about how bad yours is. We gotta, it's a two-way street. We gotta hold each other accountable and we gotta be willing to be held accountable. A couple more scriptures here real quick and we'll move on. James chapter five, verse 19 and 20. Look what it says here. This is so cool because this is Jesus' half-brother. We'll hear from another one of his in a little bit. But Jesus' half-brother James says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away, among you, that means they're part of you, from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. It's that important. It's that important. And then finally, look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. He says, so watch yourselves. He said, so watch yourselves. If another person believes, uh, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive that person. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive them. Here's the deal. Stay with me right here. You must forgive them. You don't have to trust them right away. There's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness is free. Trust has to be earned. It has to be earned. I don't want to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm just going to guess that at least somebody in this room, when they were a teenager in high school and starting to drive, did something that mom or dad took the car keys away from you for a while. You weren't allowed to have them. Guess what? Didn't mean they didn't love you. It meant they loved you enough to care enough about you to say, you're going to kill yourself or somebody else. Give me them keys. And what you had to do was earn the trust back to earn the trust back to where you could be out and be trusted to be okay. And so they forgave you. Okay, you, you could cry, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, I forgive you, but give me the car keys. B because you got to earn that trust, okay? Why is this so important? It's, I, you know, it, it's important 
because we gotta understand how to function because these things are going to happen. I'm really, uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm really getting a little bit tired of hearing, just being around in conversation. Man, I, I think this world, this world is getting so bad. This world is getting so bad. Guess what? There is not a thing that has ever happened on this planet that caused God in heaven to go, I didn't see that coming. And it shouldn't us. Because all through scripture, it tells us that. Listen to what Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy's getting ready to lead this kind of crazy, awful church in Ephesus that had so many problems, so many heartaches. And, and Paul's trying to get him ready for that. And he said to Timothy this. In chapter 4, verse 3, he said, For a time is coming when people no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. Duh. <laughs> like... I should have seen that coming. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. <laughs> and he's speaking right now. Man, if you could just call it up on cue every week, that would be so cool. <laughs> Work on that in the back, guys, all right? It says they will reject the truth and chase after myths. See what Paul told Timothy was that this was going to happen. So why are we so surprised? I think the fact that we're so surprised is part of what causes us to be insecure about confronting things that need to be confronted, about taking a stand against things that we need to stand up for. You know, because we're so worried. You know, we're so worried. Now, if we're not doing it in Scripture, that's a problem. But if we're in Scripture, and if we're holding the truth, what are we so worried about? We, we've got the I was in a meeting the other day, and I've heard this before, and, and I about lost my mind. I was in a meeting the other day, and we're talking about something that was like offline and off base, and like, okay, yeah, we need to, we need to, we need to have a position. We need to stand firm on this position. It wasn't here, but I won't tell you where. Anyway, we need to have a position. We need to stand firm on it. But then somebody said, "But we got to be careful not to poke the bear." I all I could take. I spoke up. I said, I'm really getting pretty sick and tired of being the bear and allowing the world to poke us over and over and over again. And the church has turned into not a grizzly bear that it should be, but the church has turned into a teddy bear because we're afraid to poke the bear. There's a time we need to stand up. No, we we got to do it with love. We got to do it with love and we got to be able to care for all people and love all people and feed all people and all those kind of things for all people. But the church has got to take a stand. Believers have got to take a stand because who are we called to hold accountable? The church, not the world. So let's hold each other accountable and we'll speak truth and let, they got to figure it out because they're the ones that are going to be held accountable for God, to God. All right. We're called to hold believers accountable. And if you think of it this way, it's foolish. It's foolish to try to hold someone accountable to King Jesus who hasn't even agreed that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. But once they do, guess what that makes them? That makes them and you siblings. Uh, we have the same father. And that makes us siblings. And we got to hold family accountable. With all that mind, I want to go back. I want to go to another letter that is really short. It's at the very back of the New Testament. Right before you get to Revelation, there's this little postcard from a guy named Jude, who also happens to be Jesus's half-brother, just like James. And we say half-brother, it's because Mary was the mother of all of them, but James and Jude... Their dad was Joseph, okay, all right? And, and so they grew up in the same house with Jesus. Jesus was the oldest one in the house, the oldest sibling in the house, and they grew up watching Jesus and not believing he was the Messiah until three days after they hung him on a cross. And he rose from the dead, and, they saw, and these guys, James and Jude, they became leaders in the church because now they could speak to a world who hadn't believed. And they said, yeah, me too. Yeah, we didn't either. We didn't either. But now we do. 
And because of that, there's some truth that we can bring to the table. And so if you look in the book of Jude, there's only one chapter, only one chapter, about 25 verses. And if you look at verse 17, we need to understand, like Paul told Timothy, Jude reminds us that what is happening had been foretold. It says, but you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their own ungodly desires. And these people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit living in them. He says, their itching ears, like Paul talked about, their itching ears want them to hear what they want so it can justify their actions. You've been around somebody that just goes to the office just looking for somebody in the office to agree that their way is the right way. Even if everybody's saying, no, I just got to find somebody. And for some reason, if just one person, if just one person takes my side, then that means I'm right. The, The whole office complex, the whole building may say, you're out of your mind. Both of you are out of your mind. But like, just give me somebody that justifies my actions. It, they, the itching ears want to hear what they want so it can satisfy their desires. Here's what I want to do. I just got to get somebody to champion it. You know, once again, parenting, I bet this has happened at your house. I bet this happened, especially if you've gotten to the point of teenagers yet. If you've not got to teenagers yet, listen tightly because it's coming, all right? Because there's going to be the time that he, she, whichever is going to come to one of you, one of you, and say, mom, dad, whichever one, can I go to X? And your immediate response is going to be no. And immediately following that are going to be crocodile tears or fits of rage. One of the two, okay? And then, here's what's coming. Get ready. Get, get ready. Here's what's coming. As soon as they can get out of your presence, they're going to find the other one. And say, Dad, can I go to X? Heaven forbid, Dad, you say yes. That's not going to work out well. But what they're doing is just trying to find somebody that will justify their desires so they can satisfy their desires. And really what it's going to is they want to follow their cravings. And what they have done that the Bible talks about here, Jude even said it, they are creating divisions among you. I bet some of you have had some divisions at home over that very scenario. Because they caught one of you on a soft day and you said yes when the other one said no and now there's division. And that's what Satan is trying to stir up when he wants to distract us. When he wants to distract us from what is supposed to be going on even though it was foretold for centuries. I mean, the next thing we need, we need to understand the goal. We need to understand the goal. Look at verse 20 in the book of Jude. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith and pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Our goal is not to tear people down. Our goal is to build each other and get us back to the right spot. To get us back in a great relationship with the creator of all relationships. That's our goal because the reality is this. And we've got to compare it with all of Scripture. The reality is Scripture tells all people must give an account to God. Paul was very clear when he spoke on God's behalf in the book of Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of those sins are death. That's what's coming. And so... Christ's account, though, is credited to us. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he was bearing the sins of the world. Get this. He's bearing the sins of the world, the entire world, none of which were his. Think about that. And it's like he says, here, take a little bit of my account. I'll take yours so that you don't have to pay it. I'll take yours so that you don't have to pay it because it's already been paid. And so that someday when you stand in front of his dad, 
when you have to stand in front of his dad and, and you're being kind of like eternally, like here it is, and he's gonna be yelling, I got that one. She's with me, dad. He's with me. And the qualifier is, did you accept the free payment of his gift on your behalf? On your behalf. And if you have not yet accepted that payment of your sins by Jesus, the only sinless one who has ever been, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? We've got to build people up. And part of building people up is we've got to be in a good place ourselves. We use this illustration all the time. When you're on a plane and the oxygen masks come down, you've got to get yours on first because you can't help someone else if you're not breathing. So what are you waiting for? Let's finish this up. Verse 21. Let's understand mercy. This is the rest of the chapter. Verse 21 says, And await the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love and you must show mercy to those who faith, whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them out of the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. That's what he said earlier. Don't get too close to that sin because you'll get sucked back into it. You'll get sucked right back into it. And then he finishes this way, talking about the reward. He says, now, all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away, and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence into, without a single fault. Without a single fault. <clears throat> if you could just stop for a second and kind of don't write him down, but in your mind, make a list of your faults. Because we've all got some. We've all got them. And know that there can be a day when you can stand before the maker of the universe without fault. It's because Jesus, but, but you've got to be held accountable to live for Jesus so that you can have that privilege and that reward. And he finishes by saying, wow, all glory to him alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time in the present and beyond all time. Let me give you four action steps really quick. Four things that you need to do if you're gonna be willing to be held accountable and hold accountable. First, you've gotta define what accountability looks like. You gotta define, okay, what's the issue that's at stake here? You're not just going after, like, I'm not just coming after you because, like, I don't like you. Like, no, there's a defined issue. This is, we got to deal with this. We got to deal with this issue. It's, you know, it, it's your, your language or your actions or, or whatever it might be. We got we to define it. And then we got to decide how to communicate. And Jesus told us the best way to communicate is one-on-one, one-on-one, face-to-face, one-on-one. And if that doesn't work, bring somebody else along. If that doesn't work, bring a bigger crew. But we got to learn how we're best going to communicate. Here, here's how not to communicate, all right? When, when it comes to accountability, here's how not to communicate. Text messaging. And, and if you're ever even going to think about it, figure this out. When you text in all caps, you're yelling at me even if you don't know you're yelling at me. Some people got to figure that out in the whole texting world, all right? But anyway, you define what's going on, you communicate properly, and then you assess and identify what would be the best result. You know, what, what do we want to get out of this? And then you got to be willing to follow through. you got to be willing to follow through. So define, communicate, assess, identify, and then follow through. And let's get back on the same page and let's go. Let's go. Let's go win with Jesus. When you know, when you know that you belong to God, that's acceptance. When you know that I belong to God, mean that I'm accepted. It's a great feeling. That's a great feeling. A bunch of you guys in here have felt that feeling and know that's a good feeling when you know that you're accepted and that he wants to be with you. That's affection. Not only am I accepted, but God loves me. He has an affection for me. He wants to be in relationship with me. And then you feel his pleasure, pleasure 
which is approval. Some of us spent a whole lot of our childhood just trying to get approval. And some are still trying to get it today. I just want your approval. And and then once we get that, we know that God hears us and he sees us and that we have his attention. That we have his attention. That he's seeing what's going on. When we understand these things, acceptance, affection, approval, and attention, which will pop up there in a minute, uh, then it's a lot easier. Then it's a lot easier to accept accountability. Because if I know you accept me and that you care for me and that you like me and approve of me and that you're watching me, I can listen. I can listen when you want to hold me accountable. That's what God wants. That's what God wants to do for us. So the bottom line is simply this. If we are going to become fully devoted disciples, we need each other to go deep with Jesus. Jason told us that one of the problems of scuba diving is you go down and it gets really dark. You know what that does? That makes scuba diving alone very dangerous. You need somebody scuba diving with you. And the, and the Christian journey can get hard at times. You need somebody with you. Here's how we're going to end today. We just want this to be kind of a reflective time. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and Stu's going to come out and, and, and just play some and, and sing. And, but really, when he starts singing, you're, you're, you're welcome to just listen to that one course, or you're welcome just to leave, because we really want you to think about this today. We want to think about your own life. And are you really living in such a way that you're willing to be held accountable as well as to hold it accountable? Maybe you need to come over and, and pray. If you need to come over and talk to somebody, some of our staff and our, and our decision counselors will be over by this wall and they love to talk with you, pray with you about whatever. If you're ready to do what Nevaeh did, come find me or Bobby or Jason and we'll talk about it. We'll get it lined up. And, and if you've been thinking about it, what are you waiting on? We can baptize you at the very beginning of next service. It fit perfectly in this service. Do you notice that? All right? So we've mourned one of that. But, but we're not going to sing a big long song and ask you. We're just going to like, okay, go. Go do what God's calling you to do. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to get out of here and go love God, love people, and watch him change the world. Thank you, God, for loving us enough to care for us and to hold us accountable. Help us to be willing to love you in that same way and open ourselves up to your accountability and, and be willing to get in a relationship with a tribe of people that are still on the same journey with us. And that when we do this journey together, we've got a promise. We've got a promise that because of Jesus, we can see a victory. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.